Welcome to the Mind and Matter podcast, where we talk about the issues that matter and how transforming your mind can change the world around you. There'll be no peace. There'll be no peace. There'll be no peace. Until there's justice. Until there's justice. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. We have got a special treat for you. Now, so much of our conversations and so many of the things that we talk about, it's always theoretical or it's big picture. It's something like that. But today, I've got a special guest who's going to make things as practical as possible for us. Today, I'm joined by my friend, Andrew Feaster. Andrew, tell him, say hi. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Andrew Feaster. I'm born and raised in San Diego, but specifically Chula Vista. I uh, went to Eastlake High School. Um, gra- after graduating in 2009, I went to Southwestern uh, College before transfer- transferring to San Diego State University. Um, and since then, I went to California Western School of Law. And for the past three years, I've been uh, a public defender in San Diego County. Awesome. All right. So let's get it. Let's make sure everybody gets to know you a little bit. Okay, Andrew. Now, we're recording this. It's still COVID. Everything's shut down. But pretending like it was normal and things were good and things were open, if you could go to any restaurant right now and get, like, your go-to favorite food, what restaurant would it be? What food item would it be? doesn't have to be your favorite just right now. Like, so whatever you're in the mood for right now. I think right now I'd want a brownie pizookie from BJ's. Oh, nice, nice. I have a sweet tooth, so I'm going to go lean to desserts and pizookies I haven't had since before COVID. Okay. What kind of ice cream? Oh, uh, vanilla. Okay. Our cookies and cream, but I'm okay with vanilla. And we're going to hold the Oreo filling on on the pizookie. All right. Well, okay, good. Perfect, perfect. All right. Now, if I understand it correctly, you said you played football in college, right? That's correct. Okay. Childhood favorite football player. Growing up, who was like the, the football player you looked at me like, that's the man right there. For the longest I grew up, I wanted to be a running back. Okay. It didn't really come out that way. I ended up being a linebacker. I wasn't as uh, shifty as I wanted to. My favorite running back, though, was Curtis Martin from the New York Jets. And then as I got older, LaDainian Tomlinson. Oh, absolutely. 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 All right. Um, let's see. We are currently watching the NBA play. I mean, not currently, but the, the NBA playoffs are currently happening. The team you most want to win the title whether whether it, whether you think they're going to or not the that's team that's easy that's easy lakers oh it's a lake show it's 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 time our 17th nba championship is coming if you get 17 does that tie you with the celtics yeah. okay yeah that's what i thought okay perfect all right so that's a little bit about andrew feaster all right now, now let's let's talk a little bit more let's talk about some things that are a little bit more real um so like i said we we talk a lot about justice we talk a lot about the biblical mandate for it we talk a lot about how this is not a um this is not something that culture came up with and honestly if we're truly following jesus justice is a part of the 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 life we pursue the things that we see you have kind of a unique real world experience in that and that you're a public defender for the city of san diego um just so that we make sure everyone understands what that is what exactly is your job what is it that you do okay um, I work for the county of San Diego um, as a public defender, and essentially whenever someone is charged with a crime, you have an absolute constitutional right to an attorney. Whether you're 
poor, whether you're homeless, whether you have money, everyone has that right to an attorney. And for those who cannot afford an attorney, um, you are given a public defender. And so I represent, most majority of my clients are um, indigent, um, low income, and or homeless. And I represent them on their criminal cases. Okay. So walk us through like, like, do they pick you? Like, how do, how do you get assigned to clients? How do, you, how do you and the client first get, get connected? What does that look like? Typically, typically my supervisor will assign a case um, to me. So I'm, I don't get to pick the clients most times. Um, but in real, real practice, um, if I'm in court and I actually am interacting with you at your first, first court date, I will tell my supervisor to give me that case. Definitely if I, you know, I have built a connection with the client, I can tell my supervisor, give that case to me. And in that instance, I can actually pick them. But most times, though, you know, clients will try to say, oh, I want you as, your pub- my, as my public defender. That doesn't usually happen um, just because we work on calendars and you can't just hand pick your own public defender. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So when we like you've heard a couple of these podcasts you've, you said you listened to a few of them we, you and i've had discussions about this before when we think of the word justice like a lot of different things can come to mind there's okay like the, so there's the idea that okay if you do something wrong and you're punished there's that type of justice then we also talk about like the idea of justice being like the thriving of humanity like if there's something that's interfering with a person or a group of people thriving and achieving all that like god has for them getting rid of those barriers and stuff like that that's also a form of justice when you think about defending people that are either homeless or in some other ways and stuff like that like what compels you with the idea of justice and being a public defender basically how do you marry the idea of people need justice and i'm a public defender like what's your thought process how do you go into what it is you do etc how do you take the idea of justice and apply it in the context of what you do well, I think if we had to start with the premise, my idea of justice is different than, I guess, the mainstream uh, definition of justice. Um, at least for my practice, I try to have a, a grace-centered practice. Um, and there is a quote by Brian Stevenson, who's an amazing uh, freedom fighter. He started the Equal Justice Initiative. He says that each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. And I tried to practice that way. And when we say most people think of justice as you committed a crime, so you must do the time. And biblically, that's not how we live. And that's not what we believe in. We believe in grace. And it's not, it's not earned, it's given, right? We do something wrong, but Jesus gives us that grace and forgives us. Um, That that biblical type of justice or biblical type of grace, there's a disconnect in the real world, but I am trying to, at least in my practice, bring that type of grace in dealing with my clients um, and fighting for the rights. Okay, so what would that look like? So, and I, I know you probably can't share confidential details and stuff like that, but just as much as you can or in a, in a general sense, how do you take the idea of your, you know, every person is more than the worst thing that they've done? So I probably butchered that a little bit, but taking that quote and saying, okay, here's how I apply it to this particular individual like how do you do that what does that look like give us an example okay i'll do and we've mentioned this before i think there are examples in our criminal justice system that everyone can get behind there is a you know a story in which you feel good with and that's that's easy to get behind and so i'll give you one of those um i had a client who entered a starbucks it was a black woman um and she was doing 
she was standing like after ordering she was just standing and staring to a normal person that's a little bizarre behavior um and i think she maybe was talking to herself um it made the employees a little uncomfortable right so they called 911 and then my client was actually arrested for trespassing i re i got her outside of court on the very first day and i sat with her and i talked to her um, immediately just through my practice i'm able to to talk with her, to get to see her side of a story, and I was able to notice there were some mental health concerns, right? And then she started mentioning the medication that she's on. When I read the police report, I noticed very similar things, that there's something going on, she's acting bizarre. And as I got to talk to her, I got to hear her side of the story. That is when I'm, this all makes sense, right? She wasn't doing anything wrong, right? She was just going through a mental breakdown, um, and I believe she was uh, schizophrenic and bipolar. Right, and I believe she was unmedicated at the time. And so what my goal from there was is taking her story. I think she actually brought her medication in some like medical records. And I took it into um, a room where I was negotiating the case with the district attorney. And from there, my goal at least was to tell her side of the story. The, the DA is going to see a police report and it's kind of uh, subjective. It looks, it will say the facts, she did X, Y, and Z, that's why she's guilty. I am going in with mitigating information, stuff to say, she may have done that, but this is why. And she's 21, no criminal record, and she's mentally ill, um, and this is why I think the case should be dismissed. Now, that conversation was a very long conversation, um, and at times it did get heated. Um, and I think in the end, after maybe 45 minutes of really talking to this individual, he decided to dismiss the case. Um, and she was very happy and just going through the court process is a very demanding time. Um, not only are you getting off of work, not only are you finding parking, uh, which can cost money, but you're waiting in court for at least four hours. Um, and that's only on one court hearing. If this case did not get dismissed, she would have to come back at least two more times. Um, and so for me, seeing, I guess, being empathetic and seeing the grace uh, in this case, she was able to get the case dismissed. Her record is clean, and she was able to uh, go on with her life. Okay. So you said, like, that's – it's easy to see that because that's, like, that that's a case where, yeah, like, she hadn't done anything wrong. Nine times out of ten, if that had been somebody different working at Starbucks or, you know, like, they'd be like, okay, yeah, she's acting a little weird, but it's not a threat. Probably don't need to call the police. What about those cases where the person is not innocent or they have done something? How do you take – how do you take that same grace-centered approach and apply it in those? Like, what does that look like, or what are you advocating for? How do you how do you apply it in those situations, if that makes sense? It does. It does. Um, and so this example is, I think, like you stated, person was, from the facts, appeared guilty. Um, and this is something where people, like you said, he is guilty, he must do the time. And this was my second trial. Um, he was charged with you know, domestic violence with his, with his girlfriend, um, and he had a drug problem. And in reading the facts, I, I believed he was, he was guilty. Um, and talking with him, he wanted to go to trial immediately. And like everyone who is charged with a crime, you have a constitutional right to go to trial. That is your right, and the, the people, the government, must, beyond a reasonable doubt, prove the charges that they're alleging. And I worked with him extensively with trying to get a better deal. Because most times when you get a case, it's not always, oh, did they do it or did they not do it? It's, we agree he did it, 
he or she did it, but what is the punishment? What is a just punishment for the crime? And we, uh, my office and the DA, we will disagree there, and that's a reason to go to trial or go to the judge. But in this case, uh, I tried resolving the case. I tried talking to the judge. The judge gave a really good offer before trial, but he wanted to go to trial. And we went to trial, and for me, my goal is to make sure that the DA proves their case beyond reasonable doubt. Uh, that's questioning the evidence, questioning the officers, but making sure they meet their burden. In this case, we lost, and he ended up going to custody. Um, but what was interesting with this individual, I then came back to court just randomly, I would say maybe a year later. Within that year, this individual has picked up, I think, at least two other cases. Um, and when I had him, I told him specifically, you need to stay away from your girlfriend. Um, and this is all over drugs. This wasn't he doesn't have a domestic violence issues. He has issues with drugs, and he's a he's an addict. And when he gets the addict, they were actually fighting over drugs. And when I saw him a year later, I was walking to the courthouse, and an individual came up to me that I did not immediately immediately recognize. He had a suit on, uh, you know, groomed, had a haircut. He came up to me calling, you know, Mr. Feaster, and I looked at him, and then I immediately recognized him, and we, you know, embraced, and it was he has completely changed his life around. He went to drug treatment, he completed it, which is a huge step for anyone who's an addict to actually complete, I think it was 180 days. He had housing, he was staying away from his ex-girlfriend, and he looked he looked and appeared and was, you know, completely turned around. And I think for me, that's that made me very happy, and I will remember that, because, you know, there are times where clients are dead wrong, but, you know, you're trying your best to help them. And I've learned, and people have told me, you cannot help someone who's not ready for help, right? They can only get, you know, receive help when they're ready. And it was, I was happy to see that whether it was a year later, he's finally changed his life around and he's done everything that we, I was trying to working with him and everything he's done. And now he's, he's sober. And from the last time I checked, he hasn't been arrested again, which is amazing. That is awesome. Let me ask you this. Like I said, like we'll just kind of take this where it goes. But one of the things that concerns me as a pastor, um, is the way we want to reduce everything down to I would say black and white terms, but like that, that's gonna get too easily confused. But we want to we want to simplify everything down to guilty, innocent, uh, deserves to be punished, is completely free, like with no nuance or no subtlety and no ability to see people in three dimensions. Like we like we want to we reduce them all down to either a headline or a Facebook post or something like that. So, and I know you've talked about this before, but help us like with, cause you're dealing with people that a lot of us, if we, if we had not encountered them ourselves, we would believe whatever we saw posted about them. We'd believe whatever we are, you know, like you said, like they are guilty. And so, so many of us are, our, our, our default assumption is just to go to, well, then they deserve what they get. But you and I've had conversations before where you're talking about like you're you're seeing the humanity in them, and you're not ex you're not necessarily saying this other part doesn't exist, but you're saying there's more to them than just this. Walk us through that. Talk about how do you how do you develop a sense of seeing the humanity in people, or or what are the things that you like? You're like if you were talking to some other people, like people are like I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to grow as a person. What what should we be paying attention to? What should we be looking at? I know I just asked you like six different questions, so you start wherever you want. And just kind of guide us here. For me, <clears throat> I think it all it all circles back to grace. Um, when we do wrong ourselves, we get, we we are 
we expect grace. We are happy to receive that grace from God, that, that forgiveness, right? But it's very hard for us to give that same amount of grace and mercy and love to other people, especially people who are dead wrong. We are if we're reluctant to give it, to extend it just as freely as God gives that to us. Um, and so when I, when you know, with your question, I forgot your question. I actually like six different ones, so it's completely okay. How do you start to see the bigger picture in someone when and not just look at are they guilty or are they innocent? How do you how do you how do you turn them into a three-dimensional person? I try to get to know their story. And there's another example where when I was downtown, um, there's a lot of homeless individuals downtown. And unfortunately, the city of San Diego will charge them with, you know, illegal lodging, which is usually setting up a tent or encroachment, which is simply just blocking a sidewalk. And I had a woman who was out outside. She was sleeping outside in a tent, which technically, right, is illegal. And the officers came up, knocked on her tent, woke her up and searched her and found meth, uh, drugs on her. And what she told me, and which made sense, I never thought of it as a man. She said, I have this drug on me. Because, and I take it at night because if I don't, it keeps me up at night because if I don't and I fall asleep, I'm going to wake up with a man on top of me, right? And I, you know, as a man, I never even thought about that possibility, that scenario. I know it's dangerous outside, but when I go to sleep, I'm not waking up with that fear. I don't even have that fear processing in my head. And so, sure, when I have my case file and I talk to her, is she wrong? Yes, she shouldn't have had it. But now my goal is when I go talk to this district attorney or the city attorney is to explain the circumstances in which why she did this, in which why she has this. It's not she's homeless and she's doing this so that she stays up at night because it's very dangerous out there. And we can agree that And this woman is very small. And it's just she's very scared for her life. And here's another example. I had um, a woman who was charged with petty theft, which is taking property basically that doesn't belong to you. Um, she's homeless. Um, in between homes, she doesn't have actual structural housing, but she actually took breast formula um, formula from Walmart, and she's being charged with that as a crime. And it's another example, I had an individual going into 7-Eleven stealing a sandwich. Everything, and it's going, getting their story. And I understand, by reading the facts, I can see, he says, I'm homeless, I don't have the money, I just came in and took a sandwich because I was hungry. And it's, I'm going to the DA, trying to get, he, what he did, yes, it's technically illegal, but we have to look at this person as a human. No matter what happens in this case, when they get out, they're still homeless. They're still going to be hungry. How do we try to help this individual so he's not back here and that he's better? Um, and that is, I guess, the process that I try to go through is, okay, and I mean, as an attorney, I, you know, we're also counselors. And so, yes, I am focusing on your individual case, but, you know, I'm also counseling you whether it's immigration concerns, whether it's mental health issues, whether it's substance abuse issues, whether it's trying to get someone housing or social work, um, my scope is a lot larger than simply this file that's in front of me. Um, and that kind of, that directs my practice. And I think that why centers around grace and trying to help this individual, not only in this case, but afterwards, how can I help so that you're not back here and you're just trying to be better in your life? I mean, and, and I'm listening to you talk here and it's like, and in, in reality, not only is this like the grace thing to do or the gospel thing to do or the Jesus thing to do, it's just like the smart thing to do too. Because when you like some of the examples you said, like, I mean, can you, so the woman who has meth because it helps keep her up at night and helps keep her awake and away from any potential attackers, like, 
yes, punish like she okay, technically we, we all agree, yeah, meth is wrong, meth is bad. But punishing her doesn't take that like doesn't fix the situation. When she gets out, she's still gonna be Yeah, or or absolutely. Or the, the, the guy who or the, or the woman who steals formula from Walmart, like granted, yes, you're absolutely not supposed to steal. We we understand that. Yet I mean, if it's my kid and they're in desperate need of formula, I I mean, I'm going to, you know, like parents are going to do like whatever they can. Uh, same thing, homeless guy stealing a sandwich from a convenience store. Uh, I mean, once again, we agree, stealing is wrong, but it seems that uh, just punishing them, putting them in jail doesn't take any of those problems away. And so I, I, I love what you're talking about. Like, how can we have better solutions? How can we have better than just punishment? Because like you said, if, if you looked at just the headline, meth user thief thief okay well those are those are wrong we should punish them etc but it it doesn't make the problem go away so let me ask you this what are alternative things that can happen for people like that so that we're not just arbitrarily punishing people and it because like you it's not going to do any good so like in those in, in those specific cases or in other cases what do you how do you try to steer people towards something else or what are, what's part of the negotiation how do you try to make sure that people find something that that's actually helpful versus just well you have to go to jail now i think it depends on the client and what their specific need is i have a a lot of clients who are veterans who serve overseas um, who come back and they're suffering from uh, post-traumatic stress or they're suffering from uh, bipolar or they're suffering from depre depression um, their mind how they think is completely different than someone who does not have post-traumatic stress um, and so it's common unfortunately that they will when they get into an argument with their spouse or their significant other things may become violent um, or maybe they have substance abuse issues and they'll drink and then they get a DUI um, and it's Okay, so this he this is a veteran who served overseas who either I've had people who have been injured or just even psychologically injured and jail should not be the answer. They did their duty and they got injured because of for our rights. So what can I do? And there's other there's things for veterans, um, such as you know, veterans diversion, veterans court, military diversion. There are things that are um, that they can be that avenues where they can go besides jail. Now, those avenues are usually opposed by the, you know, the district attorney, but those are avenues as well. Um, but then if you have someone who is uh, mentally ill or who has uh, mentally ill, I, we have services at my office that connect those individuals with mental health providers. And there's a lot of nonprofits in San Diego where we can actually get people connected. And I think the hardest part is when someone's in jail and when they're in jail is a 50-50 chance where they're medicated. Okay, and so I'm dealing with someone potentially who's unmedicated, um, trying to have a sane conversation with them, and then trying to figure out, okay, you got services at this nonprofit, I need you to sign a, a release of information so I can get those records, present them to the judge, and I draft a plan of action saying, you know, Your Honor, if you let this person out, they would go to X, Y, and Z, and this is how we're gonna protect everyone, and this person can get the services. Because sitting in jail is not doing anything. You're not getting service, you're not getting counseling, you're not getting medication, you're not getting better. Um, and depending on the judge, more judges are coming around to the fact that there are other alternatives besides simply jail. Um, and, you know, there's a example, I had an individual who was um, in an actual mental uh, establishment, psychiatric hospital, because he was deemed a danger to himself. So he was forcibly inside of a hospital. He got into a fight inside of the hospital. The officers then picked him up from the hospital, 
took him to another hospital where the doctor said, what are you doing? This person is gravely disabled. They need to be here. They ended up charging him with assault and battery for actually being, you know, getting into a fight, even though he does not know what's going on. He's a danger to himself and others. And now this person, I see them first time in jail and it's, I'm seeing them at their worst. This is not a high point. You know, this is a low point for them. They want to get out. They're scared. They don't like being in jail. No one likes being in jail. Um, and so I have to then get their records and I have to fight with the DA and the judge to try to get this individual out. And it's realizing, you know, oh, this person's already connected with the psychologist and already is on a wait list for housing. They're already doing a lot of things on their own. In addition to that, you know, this individual was abandoned at three years old and been bouncing around from group home from group home. Um, he's 21 now. So he's been bouncing around from group home to group home and he's bipolar, schizophrenic, and then has some um, learning disabilities as well. And it's seeing this person as that person. And it's he is not responsible for his actions. He's doing so much for himself that others aren't even doing. And it's we need to get him out. He does not belong in jail. He's already doing enough. And let's get him out and let's get him the services that he needs. So let me ask you this, and we can go a little bit big picture here. It seems like, and and you correct me if I'm wrong because this is your world, it seems like, you know that old saying, if the only ha uh, tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail? Yeah. It seems like we're trying to solve a lot of society's problems through the legal system. Yeah. Like, punish, don't punish, etc. Now... I'm, I'm pretend I'm giving you a magic wand here and you can just kind of wave it over and, and change the way some things operate. What would be a better, I'm not, I'm not asking if it's realistic. I'm not asking, could it be done in a couple weeks? I mean, I like just, if you could magically change it, because what, like some of the stories you're telling us today are like, yeah, jail is not going to fix this one way or the other. Like they need real solutions, real help. They need housing. They need, um, like counseling, they need drug treatment and stuff like that. If you could kind of wave a magic wand and say, "Hey, if I could, if I could rearrange a few things in just the way the U.S. approaches some of these topics, what?" And I, I, I know it's complete. Yeah, yeah. What kind of help us dream though? Because like, and here's what here's why I ask that question. For for those of like, so there's there's probably two groups of people listening right now. There's a group of people that are Jesus followers that are like. I've never really thought about issues of justice and race and all of this stuff. And so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of learning as we go. Then there's another group of people that are like, I'm on board with this. I believe that what we're doing right now isn't working. I believe in like justice, but I don't even know what to be aiming for or looking for or fighting. You know, it's like one of those things like, sure, I'll post all the time on Instagram and Facebook, but I'd like to do more. And I don't know how to work towards something better. Paint us a picture from someone who knows the system has been inside the system. What would better look like? I'm not asking realistic. I'm not asking probable. I'm just saying, like, if you could wave that magic wand, what would what would be different? What would look different? I would start very – we can start very small. Um, I had countless amount of – usually mothers who are calling for help, calling 911, asking for PERT, which is a psychiatric um, therapist, someone who's a mental health cognition because their son or their daughter is having a, an episode, usually schizophrenic or bipolar and being manic, and they want you know professional mental health cognition to come to the scene. Due to funding or due to maybe this person is just not there, they don't have this mental health cognition on staff. And so what they do, though, is then they end up sending a regular um, law enforcement. The law enforcement is not trained to deal with individuals who are schizophrenic to deal with those who are bipolar and who are manic and going through a psychiatric episode. 
Um, and those individuals who are going through this episode do not respond well to law enforcement. So what happens is you have a law enforcement officer coming up just to try to, they're doing, they're trying to help um, and to come to a scene and it always ends up being, something happens. Uh, and what happens is client always ends up going to jail. Um, it's whether they're resisting or delaying arrest, uh, whether they're being charged with assault. And it all started because this mother typically or a, a parent is asking for a mental health clinician to come to the scene to take their child to a psychiatric hospital because they need help. Maybe they're off their meds. Maybe they need more meds. Um, and so something very small is allow, giving more funding. And that's, I guess, in San Diego, that'd be a county level, giving more funding to allow law enforcement not to answer this call to allow maybe mental health clinicians to be able to come to the scene and assist and, and simply help out this individual. Um, that's something very small. Um, I know what we're doing in San Diego. Due to COVID, uh, everyone who was in a temporary shelter or all the nonprofits, whether it's Father Joe's, whether it's Alpha Project, um, or St. Vincent, they are, or, um, Veterans Village of San Diego, they are all now in the convention center because they're trying to get people off the streets um, and, and because of COVID and how it spreads. So they're all in the convention center. Um, what they're trying to do, hopefully they can, is another something simple, is when COVID is over, we don't know when that is, but to, a transition plan is from the convention center, we want to some type of transitional housing. We should not just be allowing these individuals just to, oh, just open the doors and let them go back to the street. Um, we There's case managers that allow these people to um, get a license. Whether if you're on SSI, we can get you there. We can get you Medicare, Medi-Cal. Um, we can get you some type of temporary housing. Um, give you the services, and it's that bridge, right? So we're gonna give you temporary housing and they bridge the gap to allow you eventually to get to your own housing and get back and get back on your feet. And that's what a lot of people are, are wanting. Um, and those are, I mean, those are small things, but those are tangible things that could be happening. Um, and those are two small, tangible things that can happen. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you this, and I've heard this before, and I want to see, like, is this, is, I want you to basically either confirm or deny it. I've heard that in the many cities, it would be cheaper to solve homelessness than it is to treat homelessness. And by what I mean by that is we spend more money. Okay, so let, yeah, just to make sure everyone's following. It's like, is it true that in, like, and I've heard that we spend more money policing, arresting, jailing homeless people like the, the cost of all that and then you know then eventually they get released but they have no place to go so then once again and you know the pattern repeats over and over i've heard several times that it would be honestly be cheaper just to buy them housing or just to put them in housing and get them treatment like we would the city would spend less money doing that than it would be to just simply keep the cycle going of arrest book convict uh release etc you're shaking your head yes yes so there are there are two clear line examples that come to mind. Number one, I went to trial on a, in a case that the person was homeless and they were arrested for being homeless. Ended up winning that case. But the second example, which is involves an individual and his girlfriend. My client, um, he's bipolar, schizophrenic. Um, he's actually tried getting housing. He was actually in a, a temporary housing and Alpha Project. Since it's temporary, you can only be there, I believe, 90 or 180 days. He did that and he had to leave. Him and his girlfriend are living um, on the streets. They want help and they're trying to get help. In the meantime of receiving that help, because there's not, you know, there's wait lists for downtown if you want to be on Alpha Project or these other homeless shelters. There's wait lists. And what you have to do is you have to call every morning. The issue with that, most of um, the people who are homeless either one, don't have a phone, or two, they have a phone, but their battery 
once their battery's done, you, you're not going to yeah. be able to contact them until they charge their phone. And so they're unable to check in every day. If you don't check in every day, you're off the wait list. And another issue is when you get on, when you get accepted to a place, you can only take probably a suitcase, right? So you have to find other places to bring your belongings. And that's all they have. That's their life. Um, and so there's resources now to for storage. So you can house your, your belongings at the storage, and then you can come to the shelter. So my client and his girlfriend both were charged with illegal lodging and encroachment. They were out in a camp on, in a little canyon. Um, luckily, and this is the case, like, I was... Maybe he picked up two different cases, and the judge, I was talking to the judge, and because this should not be a case that goes to trial. Not only are you paying for my salary, you're paying a DA salary, you're paying a judge salary, you're paying a, a bailiff's salary, you're paying all the court clerks, which at least are three in the courtroom. You're paying all of our salaries to handle this case. Um, and the judge was asking, you know, the DA, where, give me a place where this person can go, right? He doesn't want to be on the street. He's trying to get off. There is nowhere currently for this individual to go. I mean, we're not going to punish him, you know, for not having nowhere to go. Um, and typically what happened in this case is, you know, when you're arrested, typically what happens is they ask you, do you want, you know, services? He said, yes, I do want help. They called up the shelters. Shelters had no place to, for them to go. So he says, you know what? Since there's nowhere to go, I'm arresting you. And they charged them with it. The rule has been is if you want services, you will not get arrested. Right. And it makes sense. If you if I ask you for services and you say no and you don't want services, there's a bed available, then, yeah, I guess there is no for them. There's no other way but enforcement. But when there is a bed, a bed available or you want help, there there is a I'll say an unwritten rule that you will not be charged with anything because you want help and you're willing to take it. But in this case, there is no beds available. And so the judge seeing this and seeing what happened and the officer actually violated his his um his manual and what he was supposed to do his policies and procedures because um, he wasn't supposed to be arrested. He wanted help and it's not his fault. The beds were full. And so working with the judge and, you know, working with my client, we were able to get that case dismissed, but that did not happen immediately. That at least was three hearings. And so that's three different days and three different times where this case is being pulled and you're paying for all of our salaries to do that. Um, and, and the other case where we went to trial, he was sleeping on the side of a bridge wasn't bothering anyone. He just had his stuff. People were able to walk on the bridge and get by, but he was just on his own. And they actually charged him um, with illegal lodging, which is, you know, camping on the side and having uh, a shopping cart. Technically, they charged him with misappropriation of lost property, which legal terms, you need more than just having lost property. You must have done a lot of other things. But they charged him because he had a shopping cart with him, which had he tied the tent to the shopping cart to, to block out for a little bit of privacy. Um, and use, I think, his his jacket as a pillow. Um, That case, we actually went to trial. And before trial, there's at least four different hearings. I was trying to get the case dismissed and all of that. That's four different times you're paying for all of our salaries. And then we went to trial, and that lasted at least two to three days. So, And we had juries. When we were picking the jury, they are like, why are we wasting all of this money trying to charge this person with a crime when we could be trying to give them somewhere to go? And it's, yes, we are spending so much money. And I was telling the judge, after this, he still has nowhere to go. He's still going to be outside. And one of the saddest things is I did this trial. Uh, it's called 977. Essentially, I appeared on their behalf. So it, when I was at trial, I was there. And on to, to the left was an empty seat. And I kept that seat empty for, for my client. He told me he was willing to plead to an infraction, which is a lesser 
offense because um, he said, well, I've been here for three different days. And while I'm here, not only is all my stuff out there and it's going to be stolen, but I have I'm hungry and I have to look for food. And so me being out here, someone's going to steal my stuff and I'm losing the opportunity to look for food. And that was really gut punching. Right. Um, and I really I literally begged him to say, no, just let me do this trial um, because this wasn't his first trial. He was actually charged and went to trial and won two years before for being homeless. And so with this case, I begged him and he allowed me to do it. And we luckily we won. But it's just we are spending so much money prosecuting these crimes, um, paying for everyone in the room, getting all these jurors. And it's you're correct. We can spend it's a lot of money, but we can spend that money instead of prosecuting and actually getting housing and actually trying getting a lot more resources in providing the housing. Um, and all it's not just housing, but it's substance abuse issues, mental health, abuse, mental health issues. There's wraparound services we have veterans on the street. Um, there are so much more that we can be doing instead of just charging them. Um, and I know one of the big issues are we can have all the services in the world and there are some people who will not take those services. Currently, we don't have all the services in the world, so we are not even at that position. Yeah, it's one of those things like, like okay, I get what you're saying. Like, yeah, like, it's, hey, if we if we had all this and there were still that group, that remaining group of people that says, no, I just don't want any help whatsoever, then fine. You know, like, we can deal with them. But we've got we've got a huge group of people that are like, no, I would like help. And there's just not enough help available. Okay. So, and you, and if you don't know, that's fine or something like that. But just like, I'm thinking about the people listening, both not only here locally in the San Diego area, but on, you know, just different states, different stuff like that. How do, how do we move towards that? Like, how do we move towards an increase in funding for these programs? Like, I mean, is it just simply like writing your elected officials? Like, how, how does, how do we, I wouldn't write. Since it's a 2020, I would email. I didn't mean like write as in put it in the post office. We, I mean, shoot, put a timestamp on this. We do. We, we know there's some problems with the post office right now. Uh, but no, like in the sense of like, okay, like if if we wanted to advocate for these type of changes, what is what would be paths or roads to take? I would be emailing your, let's just say in San Diego, it's the same no matter where you're at, emailing your elected officials, whether it's your city council member, whether it's your board of supervisor member, or your member that's in the legislature. And for California, it's the California Senate and Assembly. It's more so of emailing them, and people are doing it, and commenting, saying, you know what, we need more serv- we need more money going towards mental health services. We need more money going towards homelessness. We need more money going towards the public defender's office. That is, without... I think they're feeling the pressure more so with the current, you know, BLM movement. I think that is the way to things will change. They, and without that pressure, they're going to the status quo will remain. But with pressure and just giving your comment, maybe you're uncomfortable calling and doing that, but you can send an email. You can send, I think an email is the only one. You can send an email or you can call, um, and that is the way to actually do things. Um, and if, if if even if that's taking the long route, right? And that is the long route. Another thing is working with nonprofits that who who have these events i know think dignity is a nonprofit in san diego and they um they give out clothing to the homeless every time in the winter usually around january where they give out emergency blankets they give out clothes they give out hand sanitizer they give out umbrellas and ponchos they gave out um a bunch of things just for homeless people and they come by and they're giving socks they're giving dog food they're giving um case managers there these are the resources that people can volunteer at and you can fix the legal side of it by talking to your elected official. All right, man, you've been a wealth of knowledge. I love what you've done so far to help us kind of like, once again, see beyond just the headlines, see beyond just the the crime, but to see the person behind it. And I love what you said, like a grace-centered approach. 
if you just kind of in wrapping up, if there's anything that you could say, like, man, I wish people understood this, or I wish that they grasp this concept or this idea, what would that be? What would you want to want people to to embrace or to think through or to dwell on? I think one of the um, biggest problems, right, in the criminal justice system, there's so many you know systemic issues, but I think another issue is. When you have an individual who has, people in this position should have some type of life experience. And it's when you have individuals who have a lot of power, who've never been in trouble themselves, or none of their friends have ever been in trouble, they don't realize why a person may steal a sandwich. Why, uh, and why you know, this individual who is mentally ill does X, Y, and Z, and so they have no empathy. Um, and it's more so of, looking at this individual for all of their for everything that they are and it's not oh they just got here and they're starting here it's no looking back to see oh was this person um assaulted previously do they have mental health issues do they have substance abuse issues have they been um traumatized where there's trauma in their life and that's how that's why they're acting this way how do we address this trauma and then fix this case it's not more so just guilty guilty or not guilty it's more so this person did something, but they did it because of this trauma, this underlying trauma, and how do we actually get to this trauma? Because without actually addressing the trauma, we're gonna be right back here. Um, and I think, I, I try to look at it as, you know, everyone has trauma in their life, and it's, I need to realize why this person did X, and, X or Y, and how do we address this trauma and try to go moving forward? And when you think about it, isn't that just honestly what the real biblical definition of like peace is? like? the thriving of a person, the setting of things, right? Like when we talk about, you know, like the word shalom and just like the person being able to deal with anything that's hurt or abused or whatever and become back, you know, being restored back to that child of God, fully loved, fully accepted and without anything in the way. And then I love what you do, man, because what what you're basically talking about is like you're using your position, your job and stuff like that to help people experience the grace that was for only I mean, to use your word experience the grace that's been full uh that's been given to everyone and it's i won't lie sometimes it's difficult you know i have clients who are dead wrong who are fighting me on everything being very difficult but i think in spite of it all that they probably need grace the most and it's not going to be earned it is given i think they actually deserve it the most and it's in those times I think I grow the most is like even this person who's the most difficult and who's dead wrong and doesn't see what they did is wrong I'm still going to fight tooth and nail for them and try to help them on their journey well man thank you so much I really appreciate this conversation um you mentioned a couple of different organizations nonprofits, etc um just as we wrap up any of those you want to shout out that like if, so if people wanted to do more like you mentioned there was a couple of different like if they wanted to like research organizations or, or get involved in in this, what would what were some of the um, nonprofits and stuff you mentioned? Think Dignity is a huge one that works with um, hom- those who are homeless um, and in women. Um, I know Alpha Project is amazing. So is I, I do enjoy Father Joe's and Saint Vincent. They do a lot of work downtown. I do say I do know those will be the nonprofits. Perfect, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. Glad that we could uh, have this conversation today. Could have been me